Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. Dear Heavenly Father, you have revealed your special love for us in Paul's letter to the church of Ephesus when he writes that in love he predestined us for the adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. And it is in him that we have redemption through Christ's blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us all in wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things in earth. We recognize that we do not deserve such love, for but yet while we were sinners, Christ died for us. How can we fathom such love, such compassion, such mercy and grace. We humbly ask that you may come and calm our hearts and minds this morning, that we may be able to contemplate and consider your love. Jesus, we thank you for your perfect obedience in securing our salvation. Holy Spirit, secure us in the Father's hand, seal us until that final day of redemption, of glorification, and empower us to live out this great salvation and to boldly share it with others. And Father, we ask that you would just give us clean hearts and minds this morning that's based not on our own works, but based what's on Christ has done for us. And then we may respond to your word this morning. We pray this in Christ's name. And God's people said, Amen. And as we're continuing today in Mark chapter 7, the title is No Rest for the Weary, Yet Grace for the Humble. In last week's passage, Mark had recorded Jesus bringing the crowds together to teach them or to rectify what was going on about the truth, about really what makes one defiled. They were separating what the Pharisees had said, and Jesus is saying, no, here's what truly defiles someone. The disciples, though, they're still struggling to understand what Jesus is teaching, so Jesus took them aside, as we saw last week, privately and, and tried to say, hey, here's what it is. I can almost imagine him just taking them by the shoulders and say, this is what it means. Read my lips, so to speak. Jesus is pointing out that evil comes from within a person, from the heart. It's not the things, the outside, but from the inside. In our study, we recognize that the problem of our worship, for this has been speaking about worship, about purity, about our ability to come before God and what our worship is, is that we have a wicked heart that seeks to supplant God as the object of our admiration. And the only solution to that defilement is a new heart in which Jesus cleanses us and makes our hearts acceptable to God and able to worship. The several things that we took away from the message is that we should not fall into the trap of the religious leaders in believing that our external obedience that is separated from a reliance on Scripture and a heart cleansed by God is true worship, for it's not. Jesus says it's in vain. It's not accepted. It's rejected. 
We must repent from dead works and turn and trust that we are made right with God through the works of Christ and that He has given us a new heart for obedience and that's what leads us to true worship. And secondly, we learn that we must not fall into the trap of judging others' spirituality or their spiritual health through the external methods and replacing God's commands with traditions and preferences and opinions. We ended by saying that religion is man's attempt to justify himself to God by his behavior. And we all have fallen by to that. While worship is man's response from the heart to God's goodness. That's what we learned in the last few weeks. In today's passage, we're continuing in chapter 7. It's still about purity. It's still about coming before God, who is clean or unclean. And in this passage that we're going to look at today, 24 through 37, Mark records Jesus' failed attempt to get away for some rest by visiting a different region only to be bombarded with requests for help. However, the only difference is that those seeking his help are not Jews, but Gentiles. So Father, we ask for you to help us as we go 2,000 years into the past to kind of understand something that's sometimes difficult for us, for we do not necessarily live in, with these types of thoughts in our minds and, and issues, though many times, if we're honest, there are vestiges here and there. Open up our minds to your word. Let us listen. Keep the distractions down to a minimum. Lord, let your Holy Spirit have free reign. May we not quench the Spirit's work. Let us listen attentively. Let me speak words that are edifying and building up. Lord, I pray that you be with the preparation now that has taken place. And Lord, that you may be glorified. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So I'm going to give you some observations. The first one is in that very first verse. As we see, once again, Jesus is attempting to find relief from the demands of the crowds. Look at verse 24. And from there he arose, speaking of Jesus, and he went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered a house, and he did not want anyone to know. That's important there. He yet he could not be hidden. As we go up there, I think there's a next slide that's kind of a, a, a map there. Jesus is traveling here now to an ancient land of Phoenicia. You might remember that from your old Western civilization. That was a group of people who traveled by boats. They were the first seafarers. They were great wanderers. They uh, colonized much of northern Africa and moved their ways around. But it's now in, a, in that area there. Jesus is traveling from the area of Galilee where he mainly ministered, and he travels all up to the coastland. Now, remember that term coastland? Does that sound familiar from what we just read about in our scripture reading? When he says, let all the coastlands share and praise God. So he goes there to Tyre, and as we see, he's going to move up to Sidon. So he goes out to a land here, to modern-day Lebanon. That's what you and I would know today as you're looking at that map. It's modern-day Lebanon. And he's traveling there not for public ministry. He's not going there to minister, to teach, and to do miracles. He's really looking for a well-deserved rest. If we were to go back to Mark chapter 6... Jesus has been looking for some well-deserved rest with his disciples since they got back from their short-term ministry, but he couldn't. Remember, there was the feeding of the 5,000. The crowds are just following him everywhere. So Jesus finally says, you know what? Let's take a trip and let's just get out of Galilee. Well, here he goes up to Tyre. Looks like it's quite a distance. Remember, they're walking at this point. There's no buses. There's no Uber. There's none of those types of things. He's just walking. But again, he goes up there to get some well-deserved rest but to no avail. 
We see that his, his reputation has spread so far north, as Mark has already told us in chapter 3, is that a great crowd had followed Jesus, not only from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem, but also from Udemia and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. His reputation had just grown to the fact that as soon as he made us to Tyre, we see that he encounters a woman with an urgent request. And we see that in verse 25, where there he is trying to get some rest. And immediately, Mark writes, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him. And she came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman, Mark tells us, was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth. And she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. They had heard of Jesus and his authority over demons and his power to do miracles. Now the request is one that Jesus has received quite often. Exorcisms were really one of the mainstays of Jesus' ministry. There seems to be an outpouring of demonic activity during the time of Jesus' ministry. And surely this woman had heard of his ability to command demons because she had heard of them. She's seeking help. She's seeking relief. So it would not be surprising for her to come and make this request or expect Jesus to honor it. He's done it multiple, many, many times. However, Mark is pointing out here that this woman is not a Jew, but a Gentile. And that's going to lead to a very interesting uh, dialogue in these next two verses, as there now becomes a battle of wits between Jesus and the Gentile woman. Now, just as a background, typically the Jews would limit their interaction with the Gentiles because they believed that any encounter with them would make the Jew unclean. We had saw that with the Pharisees. That's why they were accusing disciples of not washing their hands. Not only in the fact that it might be dirty, but hey, they've been interacting with Gentiles and other people. You're supposed to clean your hands just in case. The men of Israel, though, in past, had often married Gentile women. It may be interesting to note for you that both Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba are all Gentile women that are actually listed by name in the genealogy of Christ. However, this practice had become frowned upon after the return from exile, and you'll see that if you look at Nehemiah and Ezra. That became something that was not accepted. Over the years, the Jewish hatred over all things Gentile, especially Greek, grew very intense to the point that if one touched or touched something that a Gentile might have touched, made one unclean. So here's the background. This woman is not someone typically that a Jew would speak to. It was in this background that Jesus responds to her request with what might first seem as derogatory. Look at verse 27. For he said to her, let the children be fed first. Remember, her question is, would you please heal my daughter? Would you cast this demon out? And Jesus says, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. What? Could you imagine answering your mother or someone else that way? I don't think that would go very well. Well, just again, as a side note, to help us understand this concept of what's going on, some of you may know, but dogs were considered uncleaned by both the Jews and the Gentiles. To us, dogs and animals, they're pets. We invite them into our homes, we play with them, we give them great burials, we give medical care, but not in those days. In the Zondervan Bible Dictionary, it notes that in the Bible's 40 references to dogs, there's none that are complimentary. 
to these unclean animals. Scripture uses dogs to picture the fool in Proverbs when he says, like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. It refers to them as filthy and as nuisances. The Jews thought of Gentiles actually as dogs, meaning they were unclean, they were filthy, and they were bothersome. They were like mongrels. They were just like those stray dogs that are just always barking and making problems, and they're filthy. You would not let these dogs in your house. You would not be playing with them. They reserved a special disdain here for the Hellenists. And the Hellenists were Jews and other types of Gentiles that accepted the Greek influence in their lives. They had become Greek in their thinking and their dress, their decorum, and with good reason. It was these people that had been conquered. The Israelites, the Jews, had been conquered by the Greeks. They had their temple defiled by a Greek, and their temple eventually destroyed by them. In this case, Jesus seems, though, to be referring more to puppies that would have access to the house, not mongrel dogs as he uses a simple household illustration to point out a reality. Typically, dogs would not be in the house. But in this case, you can almost picture little puppies maybe in there. They just had a litter. So they seem to be kind of small dogs that might be fed. In essence, what Jesus is stating here to this woman, he says, let the children be fed first. Jesus is asking her to justify her request. And interestingly, she does so with both humbleness and wit, by finishing the word picture that Jesus began to paint. Remember, Jesus here says, well, wait a second, let the children be fed first. Well, we're not going to feed the food that I prepare for my children, for my dog. But she answered him in verse 28, but yes, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumb. Now, you and I understand, how many here have little puppies or dogs? Okay, now let's be honest, how many of them eat better than we do? Okay, yeah, yeah that's what I... You know, we, we have two dogs. Some of you have been over us. We have these two dogs, Wally, who's a little chihuahua mix, and we have Harley. This is this dog that Emily has. And these dogs, I tell you, they know when you're going to eat. We actually had to lock one of our cabinets because Emily's dog, Harley, knows how to go into one cabinet, open it up, and get her treats out. We actually have to shut it and put a jar in front of there. She knows exactly where it is. But as soon as we go to eat, guess what those dogs are doing? They're right there. They're jumping all over. They're going over. And if you leave your food on like a TV tray or leave it on the table, they can get to it. They will. It's not uncommon that I've had my food there, go to get a drink and come back, and there's Wally or Harley eating my food. Somehow it's found itself on the ground. And they won't stop, right? Have you ever just given a little bit to a dog? And that settles it, right? This morning I woke up and Dawn is cooking and here she's holding little Wally and she's hand feeding him chicken. This dog, the life he has. But so here are these dogs, you know, they're sitting there, they're jumping, they're barking. And some of you have been over when they're there and they're just looking at it. If they're not barking, they just sit there and they look. How do dogs get such pitiful looks? I swear our dogs smile and smirk at us. They're not supposed to be able to do that, but it seems to me that they do. They just look at you, and all of a sudden, you're just kind of eating. As much as you ignore them, you know, you, you know when someone's staring at you, and you look, and there they are. And finally, you know, it's eventually you go outside. We've tried to make a habit. You don't feed them. You don't feed them while we're eating. They're going to want it, but you don't feed them. But what do we do afterwards? Okay, when they're done, hey, come up, clean up my plate. By the way, don't worry, because our stuff is always clean. We always let our dogs finish our stuff, so... 
Feel free to come over for dinner anytime. Mikasa Sukasa, there you go. But see, that's kind of what she, so she fills the painting and says, yes, but even the dogs get the crumbs. You know, we don't have a five-second rule in our house or a three-second rule because it doesn't take the dogs that long to get to it. There's no picking it up, but that's what they're there for. It's kind of nice. And so she paints this picture and says, but yes, I know that I'm not one of the children, but yet even the little puppies get to eat off the children's crumb. What a wonderful saying there. He's not trying to be rude or condescending, cruel to her, but Jesus is pointing out that Israel, the Jews, had a privileged position in the plan of God. It was to them the gospel was given. It was to them that the promise of the Messiah, surprisingly though, instead of arguing, instead of complaining, or engaging a lawyer to prepare a lawsuit for racial or gender discrimination, she humbly accepts her position and answers with a witting and disarming response. It's her humbleness that strikes out. How do we do it today? Someone says something like that, we're ready to just defend. This woman, she accepts response and just says, yes, but can I have a crumb? What a humble spirit. And in verses 29 and 30, we see that Jesus honors her request, not based on who she is, or what she's done, but based on her statement of faith and her attitude of humbleness. Look at verses 29 through 30. And Jesus said to her, For this statement that you made, go your way. The demon has left your daughter. Amen? And she went home and she found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Jesus was pleased by her reaction. And her faith grants her request and wish and he heals his daughter. Now this I thought was interesting. Mark points out that Jesus did not even have to travel and speak to the demon and say, be gone. He didn't have to ask for its name. He didn't have to go through some type of rigmarole. He just says, hey, it's done. Go home. Because of your faith, because of your humbleness, I'm going to grant your request. He only states it's already happened. You see, the dialogue between Jesus and this woman is the main focus of this portion. It's not the exorcism of the demon. It's not the fact that he didn't go here, but it's the dialogue. It's the interaction. It's how she responds to Jesus' statement. Jesus responds to her faith and her humbleness, even though she has no covenantal claim to the Messiah and his miracle working power. It was within his power to say no. Just as it's my power to say, no Wally, no Harley. Yeah, you're not going to eat today. They have no claim. But yet, God says, I'm going to give it to her. Because of her humbleness, because of her faith. Now contrast her faith with a couple weeks ago with that of the Pharisees, who only seek to destroy Jesus, to criticize him, to critique him, to bring him down. You can see their pride in their position, right? We are Israel. We are Jews. We are the chosen ones of God. We are the apple of His eye. And it caused them to uh, pump up with pride. And to them, they would look at a Jew and say, they're nothing but dogs. They're not worth even the crumbs off our plates. This woman said, no, I'll, I'll take whatever. If you got crumbs, I'll take it. It takes a humble heart. It takes faith to realize what she's doing there. 
as we go continue now, Jesus now is going to travel back to the Decapolis and he's going to heal a man who's deaf in verse 31. We're going to see another encounter. Again, Jesus finds no rest in Tyre. And then he goes all the way around as we look at what it says here. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and he went north up through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf. And he had a speech impediment. So he could speak a little bit, but he had an impediment. And they begged him to lay his hands on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, he touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Epapatha, that is, be open. And his ears were open, and his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. You may recall that the Decapolis was, again, a primarily a Gentile region consisting of about ten cities with a significant Jewish population. He had done some work there in casting out a demon earlier. And as everywhere Jesus went, he was always faced with these types of requests. And this is no different. In this case, other men speak for this man because he could not. Begging Jesus to heal him, Jesus now responds to this Gentile man with a personal touch. Seeking privacy, Jesus takes him aside and proceeds to touch the man's ear and the man's tongue. It was a manner in which Jesus healed him that was very unusual. For you and I, we would never think to put our hands in somebody else's ear, would you? I guess I wet Willie, I suppose. I, most of us are past that age. But, you know, you just don't, that's not something you go around and do. Go touching someone else's tongue with your hand or your finger is not something that you do. But for Jesus... A Jew, a rabbi, a teacher. As we have pointed out, this was considered very inappropriate to touch a Gentile in such manner. Jesus would automatically be ceremoniously unclean. This is something that would create a great divide, but setting up a prayer with a single command, Jesus touches this man and heals him. Now, we look at this and we think, well, it, it, Jesus had to touch him. He didn't have to do that with other people. But I think really, again, it's, it's showing that Jesus is, is breaking down walls. Jesus doesn't view people as we view them. Jesus touches them in really a, a kind of an intimate way to prove a point here. Is that this man is worth healing. Again, it would be nothing for Jesus to say, well, you know what, I'm not here to heal. I'm here to get some rest. I'm here just looking for the Jewish residents of this area. Jesus doesn't care. He touches this man and he heals him. And look at the response. Once again, in 36 through 37, the people respond with such astonishment. When it says in verse 36, and Jesus once again charged them to tell no one, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. Stop telling people, stop telling people, but the more they would do so. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying he has done all things well. Here was a Jew that they could speak well of. I wonder, in those days, the conversation between two Gentiles, when they had interactions with the Jews. They knew how they were regarded. Could you imagine thinking of them, oh, there's those Jews, man, he's just a snob. You and I know, we know people like that, that they seem like that, and they treat us in a derogatory or negative manner. We don't like that. And you can almost imagine, but here they're looking at you. This is a man who does well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Jesus is a great, great son of God. Once again, Jesus asked the crowd not to share what he's done, yet 
They're too excited to remain silent. Mark records that the more he asked them to be quiet, the more they shared it. They are like the psalmist who declares of those that encounter God. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. All of Christians who experience the goodness and the grace of God would be in such like manner. I think the light would just shine and people would see the goodness of God. Now, I believe Mark includes these two encounters to show that Jesus is not beholden to the ceremonial laws. Just as he's not going to be beholden to those things in which he washes and doesn't wash. He is the Son of God. He's able to determine what's clean, what's not unclean. Who he can touch, who he can heal, who he can encounter. Jesus is not going to let those man-made rules and regulations dictate to him how he is going to minister. Now, why is this important? Because we have to ask, why is this important? We see these stories all the time. We read them and, and we kind of say, oh, Jesus is the Son of God. Of course, he can do those things. But you need to recognize what's going on here. There's something important happening in these encounters. For these encounters foreshadow the future outpouring of the blessings of Abraham to the Gentiles. Take your Bibles, if you would. Turn to Genesis chapter 12. Remember from several years ago, and we looked at it a little bit this summer, in Genesis chapter 12, we referred to it, to the blessings of Abraham. You might recall from Genesis 3 that God gave a promise that he would send a Messiah. He would send a Christ. And then he begins to do so. And as we turn to Genesis chapter 12, we see that now Abraham, as Abram as he was known there, enters into it. And we see that Jesus, is, or God, is going to make a covenant with him. And look at chapter 12, look at verse 2. And God says to Abraham, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse you. And look at this last phrase. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's the Abraham blessing. In Galatians, when we studied Galatians several years ago, you can go online to get that series if you missed any of it. We see that that interplay is that now the gospel now is open to the Gentiles. The blessings of Abraham have spread forth. And what we're seeing here, Jesus is beginning to show that mystery that was hidden for the ages. And so there's two things here I think that we have to learn. Number one is that instead of hating the Jews, instead of being derogatory to them, instead of separating for them, they should have loved the Gentiles. They should embrace them as brothers and sisters, as cousins, so to speak. I guess cousins would be a great term for them, for we're all cousins in that area. Jesus was like Elijah, the great prophet Elijah, who had also aided a non-Jewish woman in the same area as this Phoenician woman. In 1 Kings 17, by miraculously providing oil and flour in a time of famine. It never went empty. He continually, miraculously gave her what she needed. And also, by raising her son from the dead, one of the first instances in the Bible where we see a prophet of God raising someone from the dead. The Old Testament records many other positive interactions between Israel and other nations. Sure, we see a lot of war, but we see a lot of positive interactions, especially during the time of King David and Solomon, when people would come to Jerusalem to see the Jews worship their God. 
Hundreds of years earlier in Isaiah, God had promised that when the Messiah came, that the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. And that's what we're seeing in this story of the man who was deaf and with a speech impediment. We see this happening. This prophecy is now beginning to come true. These two events show that the Messianic age is breaking forth. And Jesus is affirming that this will include the Gentiles. This is a good story. This is a story that includes you and I. In healing these Gentiles, Jesus is beginning to take the small steps now in the great Jewish-Gentile divide that will be healed with the proclamation of the gospel. The New Testament speaks of this very often. They were to love the Gentiles. They were to embrace them. They were to share the gospel, which brings me to my second point, is that instead of shining the light of God to all nations, the Pharisees and the religious leaders and the Jews were now hiding it. Remember that old song, this little light of mine, I'm going to light it shine. Then what's the other one? Remember, this little light of mine hiding under a bushel. No, you shout it, no! But in essence, that's what the Pharisees and the religious leaders and really all Jews were doing. They were to be the light. The Abraham blessing was you would be a, a light to all nations. But what were they doing? Jesus told the Pharisees, you are leading people away from God. You are keeping people away from God by your rules and regulations. Instead, you should be drawing them in. You should be that aroma, that favor, that ambassador. So instead of sharing the gospel with the Gentiles and with other nations, they were hiding it. Their pride in their position and their heritage and in who they were ethnically was keeping it all inside and saying, well, we don't want them to have it. It's very easy to do that. When you say, look at it, we're the children of God. We're God's chosen people. And you're not. You know what? We do the same thing today. We take pride in our position of salvation. And many times refuse to share with others. Not because we may think that they're dogs, but that they're beneath us. Could be a different ethnic group. People from different countries. People from different social economic backgrounds. But we too do exactly what was happening here and feel that they're unclean. Dr. John MacArthur writes in the study Bible that the Messiah's goal is the salvation and restoration of Israel. That's what Messiah was doing for the fulfillment of the covenant promise. But he goes on to write, but Jesus' mission or the mission of the Messiah is not limited to Israel. He is to function as a light bringing salvation to the Gentiles as well. Israel's mission had always been to bring the nations to God. Here's the thing. God says, I am seeking worshipers. I will do it through Adam and Eve. Adam fails, right? So he goes, all right, there's no one else, so I'm going to bring a a nation. He rises up a nation. He gives them his laws. He separates them. He makes them holy and says, by your living, you will be a light for others to see me. And so others were to see the Jews, see the way they lived, see the way they worshipped, to see the way they lived among each other, and say, oh, we want some of that. And during the reign of David and Solomon, we see a lot of that happening as the glory of God just spread and others came to worship and see the wisdom of Solomon, the kingdom, and the greatness. 
But yet Israel then became and fell, rebelled against God. And by the time we find ourselves here in the first century New Testament, we see that now they're just this holy huddle. And instead of sharing it, they're not. They're not doing the thing that God has called them to do. And I'm here to tell you that the church has done the same thing. For the church too has been called out. We who were not a people are now a people. We who were not of God are now of God. He says that we too are His chosen people, called out to show the manifold wisdom of God, that the Jews and the Gentiles can now be joined together in salvation and be accepted by Christ. But the church itself has not fulfilled its mission in being the light. We too are shutting down the shutters and keeping it in and pointing out and calling others less than ourselves. Speaking about the Messiah, God promises Israel, I will give you as the Messiah as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind. The Messiah may be Jewish, he may be an Israelite, but his ministry is to all peoples. Again, God promises in Isaiah, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. For I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Paul applied this verse that I just read to his ministry to the Gentiles on his first missionary journey in Acts chapter 13. Paul said, The gospel has now spread to all of them. The Abrahamic blessing is for all people. The mission of the Messiah does start with Israel, but it's not confined to Israel. Gentiles are not excluded, but must wait until the appropriate time appointed to them. Hence the dialogue with Jesus and the woman. It's not good. The children must be fed first, but yet even the dogs get the crumbs. Once Jesus is rejected by his own, and he will, we're getting there, he will be presented and offered to the Gentiles. Paul writes to the church of Rome that I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to anyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The New Testament informs us that there is no distinction between Jew and Gentiles in the matter of salvation or access to God. Amen? For you and I stand as those that were waiting for the crumbs. You see, God is calling for worshipers. Isaiah once again, Turn to me, God says, and be saved all the ends of the earth. Not just Palestine, not just Israel, not just Jews, but people from every tribe, every nation, every tongue. Amen? That salvation is available for all. He says, for I am God and there is no other. There is no other God for the Gentiles to turn to to find salvation, to find hope. Without the Messiah, they too are hopeless. He is calling both Jewish and Gentile to come. John writes in closing of his revelation, he says, The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. This passage of Scripture is more than just two more, more accounts of Jesus' miraculous power. Much greater than that. It points to the fact that he's the Messiah of the whole world. 
God is calling the world, come, come. These two encounters would be of great encouragement to the Gentiles that Mark was writing to in the Roman church. As he's affirming that in Christ, that the Gentiles too are accepted by God. It also would have been an exhortation and maybe a word of warning to the Jewish Romans to accept the Gentiles as their brothers and sisters in Christ. Mark knew that there was a divide. During that time, there's a divide. We see it in Galatians, we see it in Acts, we see it in Jerusalem Council, is that there's still that divide, that wall of hostility. And Mark is saying, listen, Jesus himself reached out to the Gentiles. He loved them. He touched them. He was honored by their humbleness and by their faith. In the same way, if I could give you this, in the same way, you and I should be encouraged that we too are offered the blessings of Abraham through the gospel of Christ, that you and I are accepted by God. With that in mind, let's follow the example of the crowd who cannot help but zealously proclaim the goodness of God. For you and I are also called to follow the example of humbleness and gratefulness shown by the women and the people of Sidon. Let us recognize that we too were once dogs. We too were once outsiders. The Bible says we were aliens. We were outside the law of God. But God in his love towards us brought us to him, called us together. And with that same regard, that should bring us to just give glory to God and praise him and then share that with others. Let us not be men and women who accept the gift of God and then are puffed up with pride saying, I'm one of the chosen and you're not. I know God and you don't. We do it. What ways might you be doing that? If so, would you repent? It's time for us to touch the ears and touch the tongues of those that we would consider unclean and share with them, not crumbs, but the very fruit of Jesus Christ. He is that treasure. Let's do so today. With every head bowed, every eye closed. Would you take a moment? Let's pause, consider, pray, and respond. In what way do you need to show humbleness and faith? In what way do you show pride in your position? Or maybe you're here this morning and you've not yet accepted Christ. I pray today that you would turn from your sin, recognize that your need for God, and trust in what He's done for you, and begin following Him this morning. Father, we thank You for Your goodness. And we just pray that you would help us to understand this portion of Scripture. It's more than just another account of miraculous deeds. But it's, Lord, you beginning to break that wall of hostility. That the gospel is not just for the Israelites, it's not just for the Jews, but, Lord, you're the Messiah of all of us. And, Father, I thank you, Lord, that now, even though we are still marked in this world by walls of hostility, some that are still beginning to be risen up, by politics and culture. Let us see that each and every person is our brother and sister. Lord, there are people that, that need you, and Lord, we want to share with them the gospel. Show us ways, Lord, in which we have created artificial barriers between us and others. Let us zealously uh, share the gospel and what you've done. And Lord, may we lovingly welcome those that are different from us into your family. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.
We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.